I would like to take this moment to announce that this is actually officially my home church now. Uh, it, listen, I didn't even tell you guys what I was going to tell you. You just gave it away. You will cheer even without knowing what I'm talking about. You're like, All right. Uh, I quit my job, so I'm not a pastor anymore. Um, see? No one cheer for that. They're like, oh. <laughs> Just going to let that soak for a second, let you guys realize, like, really listen and make sure you know what you're cheering for. No, this is my home church. It's kind of been my home church anyway. Um, if you guys that don't know, I was on staff here for a while. And the curse of pastoring is this. This is one of the things that, that the church will do to its leaders, and I don't know how to fix it. I can't say that I've got a solution yet, but you go to the Word, and what's supposed to be a life-giving thing, where you go to the Word and you, you, you dig up what's in there, as a pastor who preaches regularly, what happens is this, is that pretty soon you're not going to the Word to get anything out of it. You're going to the Word so that you can metabolize that into something that can be delivered. And every time you open the Bible, you're not opening it to read it, you're opening it to process it. And for that reason, what happens is these mechanisms over time begin to burn up until you stand in front of a group of people and it's this, this repetitive process and you kind of lose the sacredness of what we're going to do here. And so having stepped away, we, our, our last day pastoring was the last day of July. And so I've had August, September, and October. And you would think that I would have like 40 sermons written by now. <laughs> it's got a lot of Sundays off. Here's what it's done. It's renewed my sense of sacred about what happens in moments like this. I listened to a podcast that said, you know, churches aren't perfect, but at least one hour a week, people admit that they're not as good as they could be. And they're gonna go somewhere that addresses that collectively. I mean, that's 52 hours a year over the course of a lifetime. That's 3,000 hours of endeavoring to improve. That's halfway to being an expert on something. But I think this, I think there's the possibility that in the next 30 minutes, someone's life actually could be affected. That what goes on here could actually be meaningful. There could actually be healing. God could actually speak to people's lives. God could put terms and clarity and framework in your life in a way that's useful for the rest of your life. And I am enjoying the fact that I take it seriously. I'm enjoying the fact that I get to see it for what it is. I've been away from it just long enough. It's starting to kind of be fresh for me again. And so let's make sure as, as best we can, let's try to get through this in a way that's beneficial to everybody. <laughs> Have you ever wondered... I know this is gonna be a little heady, but stick with me. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to meet your childhood self? You, but as a child. I think the average person would be like, ugh. Oh, man. You know, when I was a kid, I was so dumb. Like, I thought I was gonna make a billion dollars. I told my mom that I could swim across the ocean. And I meant it, and I was like, it's real easy. You just sink to the bottom like a swimming pool and just rock yourself back up and take a big deep breath and off you keep an idiot when I was a kid. And I don't, I don't mean the conversation where you talk about like stupid kid stuff. I mean, actually have a conversation, you know, no, I never learned how to fly. No, I never made a hundred million dollars. But more than that, have you ever thought about if you were to sit across the table from yourself when you were a child and the questions of like, well, what did we become? Who did we become? What did we, where did we go? Are we good people? More than that, keeps going. Here's what I, here's what I suspect. There's an anxiety that develops if you really stop and think about it for a while. If you let yourself marinate on this conversation you're having with yourself as a child because 
And maybe it depends on the level of ambition you had as a seven-year-old. Because I was an ambitious little seven-year-old. I thought the world was my oyster and I was going to take over. So that little guy would be probably pretty disappointed in, in how things turned out. But what about questions that, that go like a little bit deeper? Here's one. Like, let me give you some framework before I keep going. Your identity follows you your whole life. You go through phases of education. You go through phases of seasoning and development and you learn and you grow more depth, but you are who God created you to be as a child all the way throughout your entire life. So when you go back and you look at where it all started and where it's become now, the problem is so many times we disconnect from who we really truly are. Has anybody ever seen the cartoon Inside Out? It's a very insightful little cartoon, if you're being honest. Like the kids watching, they're like, that's good. And the parents are like, oh, I'm a lost soul. <laughs> Talks about this character that gets so lost and so disconnected and so frustrated that there's just this little black orb and they're just one foot in front of the other and they're dead behind the eyes and they're just going through the process and they're just trying to survive. And I wonder sometimes if that's not how life can begin to feel. That we set out like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and excited and we found ourselves today in a much different scenario and what a wake-up call that would be to go back and talk to the child before all the damage, before all the, the disappointment, before all the letdowns. I'm just genuinely curious what that conversation would go like. I wonder this. I had a buddy that went through rehab a few times for drinking and you know one of the things I learned about alcoholism? The only way you can diagnose it is if you try to quit first. <laughs> I thought that was a funny realization. I don't. <laughs> but you know, people that have like this bad drinking habit, like I wonder how you would explain that to yourself. Because a little kid is asking from an innocent perspective of like, why do we do that? We don't understand. Life is hard and it's gonna be disappointing. It's gonna be discouraging. Why didn't our marriage work out? How did that happen? We, our parents went through a divorce. We weren't gonna do that. We were gonna be better. We were gonna improve. How did our marriage fall apart? Why are there lingering addiction? What are you doing to us? Why are you still at this job that you hate? See, we don't ask these questions because we get in this habit. Remember, pattern, we just do it. We just go through the motions. But we know deep down, we know that slowly life has this weird way, not of turning us into a bad person, I'm not saying that, but turning us into someone different, huh? Turn us into a much different thing than our happy little self that we were as a kid. What about this one? And this is kind of ugly. I, I don't mean it to be at all, but have you ever wondered like if your childhood, you met you, if you wouldn't be like, why do we look like this? Are you even trying? Dude, get us on a diet. You're not like, you just, you just fully gave up. Ugh. Which means if you would have felt that way as a kid, it's, that's still all kind of present. Has anybody seen the movie uh, Hook? It's Robin Williams' movie, Peter Pan. There's this moment, it's one of my favorite, it's actually one of my all-time favorite movie moments because I always imagine what it would have been like to be off camera and seeing this being played out. In little. So Robin Williams, he was Peter Pan, he moved away and chases Wendy and he becomes old because he left Never Neverland and you know, time does what it does. And this is what I'm talking about. That, like you begin to separate from who you were and who you become. And there's this moment where Robin Williams and this little kid are just sitting there staring at each other, just like face to face and they're staring at each other. And this little kid's really studying and because they don't believe it's him, they're like, what happened to you? You 
changed. You became old. You're one of them now. You're not one of us anymore. You know, it's the, we were the, we were the lost boys and we were wild and we had fun and we had plans and we were this and now you're that. And so this little kid, he's sitting there and he's looking at Robin Williams and Robin Williams is staring back and it's the sweetest little moment. This little kid, do you remember, anybody remember what he says? There you are. I think that's what I'm trying to lay the framework here for. He reaches up and touches him because you're still in there. You look different. But it's still you. And I think it would be a hard thing. I know that it's a hard thing because when we're lost in our patterns and our chaos and our new sort of operating system, I know it's hard to face it. The Bible says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has eyes to see, let him see. And I think sometimes it's hard to see because it's hard to look at because it's a lot of shame that comes with looking at who we've become versus who we were. I sympathize. I deeply sympathize with the reality that it is difficult to face hard truths about ourselves. But I wonder if there's not a, there you are moment that could happen. There's a million things that take us down that road of separating from our soul and becoming something different, our truest identity, like that we get lost. But the American Journal of Managed Care published a peer review article in 2019. It was, it was in 2019 and it said at the time four years ago, so it'd be seven years ago now. It says Princeton economist and Case, PhD, and Angus Deaton, PhD. Can you imagine you name your kid Angus and he still gets a PhD? Um, published a study on rising morbidity and mortality among whites that sent shudders through everyone from demographers to politicians. Listen, more drug overdoses, alcoholism, liver disease, and suicides, so-called death of despair, meant the steady rise in life expectancy seen for decades was no longer inevitable. It means that for the first time in decades, life expectancy had peaked and started to come down, not because of pestilence and not because of poverty or starvation or all the things that we think would you know, affect life expectancy. In essence, people were either killing themselves or taking on habits that shortened their life. People were saying, in essence, that they are so disconnected from who they set out to become that they would rather not live any longer in what it's become. Men, we are famous for finding buttons that make us feel a little better. Little patterns, little habits, little things, little things that we do to just try to get through life that shorten our life expectancy, but we feel a little good for a moment because we've gotten so far away from where we started out. Douglas Murray said this, he says, we have all these patterns and habits and things that we can do to extend our life by 10 years, but what's the point if you're gonna spend those 10 years on the couch watching Netflix? can't be the only one that wonders what life could be. I can't be alone in that, right? Can't be the only one that looks around and goes, this is not what I, how did I get here? It almost is like a panic response. It's almost like, wait a minute. Slowly and gradually over time, I've become something that I didn't want to become. So many people are demonstrating in action that it would be easier to not live than to continue living disconnected from their soul. When you think of the word orphan, it's very easy to reduce that. You know, like instantly the, like the picture that comes to my mind when I say orphan is like a little kid with baggy clothes living on the streets of New York in 1920. <laughs> but it's more than that. 
So orphan, they're, they're, it's not the, the circumstances surrounding someone who has lost their parents that I wanna talk about. It's the spirit that develops around someone who feels alone. Don't think of it by the definition, think of it by the effect. Is that fair? We can think of it by the effect of what it creates, what that causes. When someone feels completely exposed and completely isolated and abandoned, what that can create internally for them. Rochester area fatherhood network.com. I don't suppose you're going to Google it. I just don't even think I came up with it on my own. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's five times the average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes, 32 times the average. Now, from that, we could drive that dads are really important in the home. And I'm not saying that they're not, they are. But single moms will tell you what happens when the dad leaves the home? What do the moms do? They gotta work. So there are children being raised in homes where the dad is gone for whatever reason and the mom is drawn out of the home also in a survival technique. And those kids, the kids that are being left in fatherless homes are often being left in parentless homes. They learn where the key's hidden. They learn where the food is. They learn how to clean. They learn what bedtimes is. They become very self-sufficient people. Now, now, self-sufficiency is not a bad thing, but the more self-sufficient you are, the more prone you are to operating in the same system as someone whose parents have left them. Just start putting it all together for us. Children who've lost, they experience loss of parents will experience secondary symptoms. Uh, rejection. Let me read these to you. In case you think you're, you're, because your parents still exist in the world, that you're okay, or that you're not possibly uh, suffering from this orphan syndrome, this orphan spirit, let me tell you some of the list. And on this list, tell me if some of these things don't describe some of the things that you go through. Ready? A sense of rejection, abandonment, a lack of trust, me at the cost of you, my benefit, even if it costs you, anxiety, hopelessness, isolation, and deep self-sufficiency. Every man in the room is like, Now, imagine that your day-to-day -day habits are developing and growing around rejection, abandonment, lack of trust, me at the cost of you, anxiety, hopelessness, isolation, self-sufficiency. Imagine the kind of life that that would produce. See, it's not the circumstances that started it, it's the patterns that perpetuate it. It's not what started it, it's the things daily that take place as a result. That's where that gets you. Not every orphan commits suicide or runs away and not everyone who does is an orphan. That's not what I'm saying. I'm gonna tell you a story about Samson. For all of you that were wondering how long I would get into this before I mentioned something for the Bible. <laughs> we made it. There's a Christophany in Judges 13 where Jesus tells the parents of Samson that there's gonna be a child and he's gonna be born and he's not gonna be like anybody else. <clears throat> he's gonna be different. He's gonna be more capable. He's gonna be smarter. He's gonna be stronger. He's gonna be a judge that's gonna bring righteousness to you know, Israel. This is what a judge is supposed to do. And he said, they're not gonna be like anybody else. And then that's Judges 14. The very next chapter, or 13, Judges 14, the very next chapter, chapter eight, when we meet Samson, he is now getting married. So there's this gap in, in Samson's life. And we can draw some conclusions based on where we find him as to what has taken place. Just by a show of hands, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. It's a trick. Has anybody not heard the story of Samson? We're in Texas. This is the South. We all know the story of Samson. What we might have missed is some of the symptoms that are familiar in this process. Listen to this. Vow, the, the, the Nazarite vow that he, had been that he had taken to not cut his hair also included not touching anything dead. He's not allowed to touch anything dead. 
Judges 14, eight says, sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he's getting married. This is like the introduction of Samson. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And when he saw a swarm of bees and some honey, so he takes the honey out of the lion, out of the dead lion, breaks the Nazarite vow and eats the honey. It doesn't seem like, like a huge infraction, but here's what it tells us. He had begun to deviate from the plan. Somewhere in here, he had started to move away from his calling into something different. He can draw some conclusions here. He was born to be a judge. This is the role that he was given. He was born to be a judge over Israel. And the, the role of a judge was to obtain justice for the tribes of Israel in the face of their enemies, annihilate or drive out their oppressors to bring salvation, rest, and peace to the land. No big deal. Little job. One of the things, I have a friend that's a judge. Good to have, by the way. In essence, the job of a judge, in essence, and this is very reductive, but to get to the basics of it, it's to see, it's to name, this is good, this is bad, this is legal, this is illegal, and to order, give order. To see it, to name it, to order it. So Samson, in order to do this, to bring salvation to the land of Israel is to turn the attention towards God instead of to himself. And the first story we hear, he's turning to himself instead of God. I don't think, like I said, I know I'm drawing some conclusions. The Bible leaves the door open for that. You know, when you look at Middle Eastern writing, it goes around the story and lets you draw your own conclusion. In the West, we draw you right to the point. We just tell you the point. We take all the nuance out of it. But the way the Bible was written is that you circle it and you draw your own conclusions. So here's some conclusions you can draw about Samson. Somewhere in there, he realized he was different. He's a guy that's taking the hinges off the city gates. This guy's killing a lion with his bare hands. Somewhere in there, Samson had looked around and gone, there's nobody like me. It's a scary thing, men. It's a scary thing when you outpace your father. There's an opportunity for this orphan syndrome, this orphan scenario, this orphan spirit to come in and start to tell you that your covering is gone. You've now outpaced your dad. It's up to you. Does this sound familiar? We should celebrate this in church. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. How did that sneak into our theology? How did, huh? Let me get back to that. He wasn't born. Jesus tells Samson's parents, he's not born to be like everybody else. He is set apart. The word holy means set apart as different. Set apart as holy means to be set apart for a purpose. And somewhere in there, Samson had misinterpreted that as set apart and isolated. He's running away from his calling. I've just been talking a lot this weekend. This is, I'm way good. Somewhere in there, Samson had begun to disconnect from the soul that God had put in him. The soul of a warrior that was designed to create justice, to see it, to name it, to order it. And Samson had begun to depart from that into habits and patterns and things that were negative and bad for him and selfish and all these things that we see surrounding an orphan. You see a lot of the orphan scenario in the actions of Samson. So, uh, psychologists have this process. I think it's an interesting thing. And if, I, I don't know, try to remember it, but mimicking is where everyone starts. You know, that's like your kid, the first words, they don't know what they're saying. It's not like your baby is like, oh, hey, what's up, dad? He's saying dad, dad, because he's heard the word dad, dad. Both of my kids with first words, dad, dad. Ask Lacey about it. She loves that. 
mimicking. And after mimicking, you move into persona. And persona is not necessarily mimicking what you've seen. Now it's this imagined self. It's this version of yourself that you imagine. And most people get stuck at persona because to get out of persona, you've got an acceptance into your identity. Identity is the final step. Persona is the middle. And most people get stuck. You'll know somebody's stuck in persona when they're always trying to convince you of what they are. They've got this imagined self and they want you to see them the way they see themselves, right? Somebody who says this, they're like, anybody know this? Here's the thing about me. Listen, here's me. Here's the deal about me. I don't know if we have any rodeo queens. Don't hold this against me. I don't actually care. Don't tell me. Uh, you know one of the things that all rodeo queens say? I'm not like other rodeo queens. Yeah, you are, because you just said that. I feel like I'm gonna get some hate over that. <laughs> but persona is this imagined self. And so what you see Samson doing is not operating as an, in his identity. Samson has gotten stuck in his persona. And his persona is, I'm the guy. I'm greater than my father. No one's like me. I walk down the street. I don't see anybody like me. I'm all alone and I have no authority. He's stuck in a persona. And so he is running from God in his persona, in his disobedience. Somewhere between birth and Judges 14, the orphan spirit has snuck into Samson, not because his parents were gone, but because he didn't see people who were like him. The lie was that no one's like you, you're alone. The truth was you were created with a specific, unique purpose. See how dangerous that can be? Nobody's like me, nobody gets me, I'm not like the other kids, I'm greater than my parents, I have no covering. Men, stick with me for a second. Everything is up to me. Anybody ever felt this way? I'm carrying the weight of my family's security. The whole nation, like Samson's like, the whole nation's depending on me. That's a lot of pressure, dude. What about this one? Anybody that's ever been in leadership? Nobody understands what I'm going through. Listen, I don't mean to sound unsympathetic. Nobody understands what you're going through because no one was created to be you. You're uniquely gifted and equipped with a purpose and a plan. God gave you tools he didn't give other people. Nobody understands what you're going through because they're not equipped to handle it like you are. Quit being such a baby. The lie is I'm a victim. The truth is you're equipped. You get to choose. And the one that equipped you, he didn't leave you. He's there, but God's not gonna speak to you in your persona. He speaks to you in your identity. And I think sometimes we're so convinced that we're gonna talk God into who we are. God, listen, here's the thing about me. <laughs> I just wonder when it happened with Samson. I wonder where it started. The Bible doesn't say, but I wonder where he started violating his own conscience. The first time his soul said, we should do this. And Samson said, no, we're gonna do that. It breaks apart and he starts this journey away from who he was into who he's becoming. Genesis chapter two, I wanna go way back. Here's what frustrates me. I've got so many questions about Adam and Eve. How do you screw that up? You gotta be kidding me. How do you give that as perfect? And everybody says, okay, there's a trick question. You can go ahead and answer it because I've answered it this way forever. But how did Adam and Eve goof up? I told you it was a trick and I was like, I'm not falling in it. Oh, they ate the fruit. But that's not, really, that's not really what happened because they would have never eaten the fruit if they hadn't first accepted a lie. 
there's this inception moment. There's this moment where it started, but then you don't know where it's at, but you know it wasn't just, oh, I'm gonna randomly just pivot away from everything I believe and make a huge catastrophic failure. The catastrophic failure had a ramp leading up to it, didn't it? Genesis chapter two, verse 19 says, now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, which means the author of creativity, this God of the universe that creates everything the way that he created it, also could have named the animals. But instead, he says this, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever he called the man, each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky and the wild animals. See them, name them, order them. It's back to the original purpose. Men, I'm, I'm picking on you, but that's my only perspective, okay? I'm from Oregon. We're taught that that's fluid, but I'm only gonna speak to the men just for a second. Let's not get political. God gave you the ability to see. I don't mean see. God gave you the ability to take in information and understand it. It's part of your calling. Part of what God created you to do is to take in information and see it for what it is, call it what it is, and begin to order it and make it better. There is nothing more fulfilling as a man than to find a situation like this and leave it better. Young men, there's a reason that philosophers teach, make your bed. It's your participation in what it means to be a man. You see your bed, you see that it's messy and you fix it and you put it together and you put it in order. Maybe you're not controlling the whole world, but you've got a little corner that you can control and that's what it means to be alive. Of all the things, it's a trivia question, of all the things that Adam could see in the garden, he saw everything. God brought them all to him. He names them. And the, the amount of intelligence, when you really stop and think about it, that was required to name all the animals and give them order. Of all the things that Adam could see in the garden, what's the one thing Adam could not see? Himself. You can't, you walk into a room, it's the only thing you can't see. So somewhere this is, my, this is my theory is that somewhere between inception of this problem of being an orphan of like, but what am I? Because he goes, I'm, I'm someone who I see and I give it a name and I give order and I understand information, but I can't do that with myself. I can't figure myself out. I'm alone. I can't get this sorted out. And so God brings Eve. And here's the thing about marriage that is so beautiful. Eve is created to, in essence, operate as a mirror that lets Adam see himself. You're like, oh, <laughs> men, have you ever had a moment where your wife lets you see yourself and you don't maybe look quite like you had hoped? There's nothing more harmful than seeing yourself. Samson couldn't see himself. If Samson could see himself, all of the, the difficulty that he faced would have looked like opportunity instead of adversity. Can I please real quick repeat what I just said? If Samson could have seen himself, he would have viewed all the difficulty as opportunity, not adversity. Quit whining. If you want something to change, change it. If you wanna see the world differently, go make a difference. We have just accepted, we've just accepted whining as part of, like there's nothing less man, well, rhinestones on your part. But other than that, there's nothing less manly than just whining and thinking that we're victims of our circumstances. Adam eating the apple was one of the ultimate acts of orphan behavior. 
God doesn't really have my best interest in mind. I've got to take care of myself. I've got to look out for myself. This is up to me. I have to take care of myself. Samson was the story of this tortured man that was fighting the enemy. He was created to create space between the Israelites and the Philistines. And then what happens is eventually he quits fighting the evil. And what happens? He marries it. In your life, if you're battling through the demons in your life, if you're working through bad habits and struggles and it's hard and it's difficult, relish the difficulty. You're made for the fight. You're created for the struggle. The problem is when you give up and you accept it. Samson gives up marries the Philistine. He marries the enemy and instantly he loses his vision. Can we prove it? Judges 16, she goes, what could I do to harness your power? I said this in the first service and I know this is probably an edgy opinion, but guys, when it comes to pretty girls are so dumb. (laughs) So stupid. Imagine you wake up and your girlfriend is pointing a gun at you and goes, click, oh, it's out of bullets. Feels problematic. (laughs) And Samson, who has lost his vision because he has fully embraced the enemy of his soul, he has fully embraced the, he's no longer struggling against it, he's fully embracing it. He is so lost, he has lost his vision. He sees that happen, he's like, You're so cute. (laughs) Hey, if you lose your vision, it's hard to name and it's hard to order. It's hard to fully complete your calling in life without vision. And I'm gonna tell you this, one of the symptoms of orphan spirit is no thought for the future. It's survival today. Getting through today with no thought of the future, no thought of what it could be because if you're an orphan, there's nobody that's gonna come to your rescue. So what's the point of planning? I'm just gonna survive today. Judges 16. Then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. This is the third time. I think what happened is Samson had fully accepted the fact that there was nobody gonna be there for him. And he started to wonder, could I do this on my own? What if I did go ahead and cut my hair? Could I still be myself without the covering of God? Could I completely be finally free of all the restrictions that God put on me? Maybe I am an orphan. It fully manifests in the moment where he gives the enemy the secret to his strength. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. It was the first moment where he was uncovered. Then the Philistines seized him and what? Anybody remember? Gouged out his eyes. Oh, the symbolism in this story. Oh, the symbolism, the loss of vision. Binding with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Don't raise your hand, but I'm gonna ask you, I feel like maybe there's men here who go, I feel like I've lost my vision for life. I don't know what gets me out of bed in the morning. I just feel like I'm grinding grain in my own life. I'm just one foot in front of the other. I don't know what the purpose is. I don't know where this is going. I would be so embarrassed if I had to show this life to my eight-year-old self. And I don't know how I got here. I don't wanna just tell what it looks like when you get it wrong. There's a guy who got it right. And I'm gonna cry through one story and we'll be done. First Kings 19, verse 19. So, so Elijah went up from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing the 12 yoke of oxen. He himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up and threw his cloak around him and said, Elisha, 
Then Elisha left his oxen and ran after him, said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye and I will come with you. So there's a man plowing, but this is Elisha. This is gonna be one of the greatest stories in all the Old Testament. You know that as he's plowing, he's looking this way and he's like, that guy doesn't seem like me. This guy can't even read. He smells bad. This guy's got terrible habits. This guy loves plowing. I don't fit here. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever had a job that you're like, please tell me I'm not like these people. I need a mirror to tell me that this is not where I'm gonna end up. Elisha's gonna go on. So what that means is he came equipped with all the tools for greatness and he was in a job plowing, which means he could have felt like an orphan. How did I get left here? How did I get abandoned here? But the minute God moves, the minute God moves in his life and he is called into ministry, it says that he left his father and mother. You're not designed to stand your mother and father's covering forever anyway. The idea is stand on their shoulders and progress and go places. It's not to just sit back and feel sorry for yourself that you didn't have people providing for you. You're designed to be a provider. Don't let the orphan spirit come in and distort that and make it something weird. You know, I can prove it. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. He'd been plowing and plowing and plowing. He'd get up and he'd have to feed the oxen and he'd have to put the plows on and have to go farm and you can tell he hated it. I know he hated it. You want me to tell you how I know? Verse 21. So Elisha left him, went back, took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. (laughs) And he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and you know he'd been thinking about it. These are his pet oxen. These aren't like wild oxen that he caught in the wild. It wasn't like he shot them from a distance. It was like, hey, come here. Like, you're done. We're done. I will never go back to this life. This is not who I was created to be. The door is open. I'm never coming back and I'm burning the bridges home. I'm going places. But he never lost his vision. He never lost hope that God was moving on his behalf. This is a story I'm gonna cry through because I felt like God scolded me and he was right. We're deer hunting this year. My little boy, who I just, I love more than I can even put into words. He is... He's just the most special little guy. He's quiet. He's different than me. He's quiet. (laughs) And we're up there hunting and he just like, stuff rolls off his back. He's not super anxious about stuff and sunlight's just coming up and we're with my brother-in-law and one of his friends and we're all three. I mean, we've hiked out there and given ourselves asthma attacks and we're sitting on the side of this mountain waiting on a deer and the sun's coming up and things are supposed to be happening and it's kind of like the moment. Like if you're gonna see a deer, this is the moment you're gonna see it. And I look over and Jet could not be more asleep. <laughs> Gun just like laid on the ground. And like, <laughs> like <laughs> here's my reaction. I'm like, what are you doing? What, what are we doing out here? If you're not gonna take this serious, why are we out here? I could have stayed in the train. Like I'm just playing this like scenario in my head. I want to just like kick him and wake him up. I felt like the Holy Spirit just let me in on like, wait, wait. Such a validating moment as a dad. Wait, wait, wait. He's sleeping because he trusts everybody he's with. He's sleeping because he knows he's surrounded by people who care for him, who love him. There's a deer, you guys will tell him. I got silent on my mountain with a bunch of guys and we're wearing camo and I'm like, ugh. I went from being frustrated at my own son to being jealous of him. I'm like, that's what my life could look like. Imagine what life could look like if in moments of tremendous impact, 
Like Jesus, you could go down to the bottom of the boat and take a nap. Oh, I'm not alone. No, I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded by capable hands that love me and see me and know me. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine what life could look like? David said it this way, and I'm done. David said in Psalms 51, verse 10, says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David said it this way. Reconnect me back to my soul. Let me go back and be the person you created me to be. Let me get out of persona, which is my imagined self, and let me live in my identity. You know the problem with identity is it has limits. You don't have to admit what you are. You also have to admit what you're not. And then you just have to live in who God created you to be. A persona never lets you rest. David said, let me know who I am and let me live in it and let me rest in it. Let me say it this way, God, let me feel your approval without feeling like I have to earn it. God, tell me if, if I was lost. Tell me to, help me to deeply believe that you would come looking. I don't know how people reconnect to their soul without that, without knowing that if they were lost, Jesus would come find them. This orphan spirit says, if I'm lost, nobody's coming, so I have to do anything that I can to survive today. And there's no rest in that. There's no fulfillment in that. You turn into Samson, this super, super self-sufficient, super capable man who loses his vision and finds himself just grinding every day in labor. You look at Elisha and he keeps the course. He keeps his vision and one day God opens the gate and off he goes to what's next. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would just help us to see the places that we've adopted this orphan spirit. If we get lost, nobody's gonna come looking for us. God, let us rest. Let us move past persona into identity. Let us become the person that you've created for us to be. Let us become the identity that you've created so that someday, if we were to bump into our child self, we'd be proud of the person that we've become. Give us a challenge that makes it difficult, that makes it hard, and let us enjoy the process of wrestling through it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. See it, name it, and bring order to it. Samson, when he lost his eyesight, gained his vision back. And he did more when he was blind than he did when he had eyesight. Adam, God named, God named Adam, but he let Adam name the animals. And when he said, Adam, 
where are you? It wasn't like God didn't know where he's at. He said, Adam said, we're naked. All of a sudden, Adam could see who he was because of his sin, and he named himself because of his shame. And he let his shame name him. You, you got to get this. And because of that, the order that God had for Adam and Eve was lost because of the sin and the shame. Because Adam said, I'm going to name myself. Instead of letting the father name him. God didn't want Adam to have the orphan spirit. Neither did he want Samson to have the orphan spirit. But when God names you, please don't argue with God. And I believe there's people. Let me just say this. My name's Randy Weaver, and I have argued with God about who I am. When I was that six or seven-year-old, I remember we went in, and they, we had a career day, and they said, say what you're going to do when you get old. And you know what I named myself? Truck driver. Do <laughs> you know why? I didn't want to be a preacher, and I didn't want God naming me. Y'all come on with me now. God had a different name for me <laughs> than I have for myself. And it's a better name because I'm more fulfilled with God's name than I am with who I said I was. And you... Elisha let God name him and he burned the plow. When are you going to walk away from what you've named yourself? When? It's a good day to let God name you because only then will there be order in your life. When God names you. When you want structure in life, you go to the, the one that created you. Because if you need fixed, only the one who created you can fix you. And we can't name ourselves. Or we'll wind up sleeping with the enemy. Let them name us. But there's no peace with the enemy. Because Jesus said, I am your peace. And when we let God see us the way we are, and when we see ourselves the way we are, then we let God name us, then we begin to walk in the name that God has for us instead of the name that we had for ourselves. And then there's only then is there order in our life. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for your blessings today. We're not talking about yesterday. We're talking about today.
Today, oh God, is the day that you have made for us. This is the day that you have renewed who we are in your sight. And we surrender the shame of naming ourselves with, from the sin in our lives and from the failure to listen to you, O oh God. I thank you, Lord, that there is peace when there's vision. So give us your vision for us and bring order to our lives because of your presence today, O oh God. I'd like for you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Here's what the scripture says. It says, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus also said this. He said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. It wasn't that God came in to condemn you for your shame. He came to take away your shame and regret. But he said this. He said, you must be born again and what that means is that because you were born of the flesh you're born of the flesh but in order for you to walk in the spirit and really know who you are who you're created to be you got to be born again and that means being born of the spirit so this morning if you've never accepted him as your savior maybe if you have you just haven't been living for him simply by raising your hand and say preacher i need jesus in my heart, I need to make him the Lord of my life. We want to put a Bible in your hand. Slip your hand up high, anybody. Preacher, that's me. I, I need God's guidance and God's revelation in my life. And I need to know who God made me to be. Anybody, slip your hand up high. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me, please? What a great message. Thank you, Jordy. Beautiful. Good word. Good word. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being you. You are the only you that God made. And he made you for a reason, for a purpose. I just want to pray for you. That's all I want to do. Uh, we sang that song I surrender all. And that's, that's, that's the beautiful part. When we surrender ourselves to us, then we let God bring our identity to us and bring order to our lives. Let me pray for you. Raise your hands and surrender to God. Let me just give you a word of prayer. We got our prayer team up here when you need special, special prayer. We're up here for you. Lord, we, you see our hands, and we, we just raise our hands as, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. I pray, Lord, that you would take who you call us to be and let it infiltrate into our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our souls, oh God, so that we are uh, at peace with who you call us to be, that we wouldn't, that, that there would be peace, just like Jed up on the mountains, that we would trust you and we'd have confidence and we'd have faith in you, that that when you want us to move and when it's time to breathe and when it's time to, to, to do whatever you call us to do, that we would do that. But more than anything, help us just to be, just to be. 
And I thank you, Lord, for everybody this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you are moving and helping us, Lord. Restore vision, Lord, to everybody. Restore order, oh God. And may we know our name and what you, you've called us to be. And our identity, our identity comes from you and only you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name in the church. Sin. Amen. God bless y'all. We love you. Come back next week. We're going to have church again. And if some of y'all want to come to that first service, there's a lot of empty chairs. <laughs> love you guys. God bless you.